How much do you know about Lady Bird Johnson? Yes, she was the first lady. Yes, Austin's downtown lake is named after her. Yes, we honor her when we see blue bonnets in the spring. But there was much more to this native Texan. Learn more about Lady Bird, the businesswoman, political advisor, and philanthropist in the exhibit Lady Bird, Beyond the Wildflowers at the LBJ Presidential Library. 9 to 5. Learn more at lbjlibrary.org. literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to Austin Found we really appreciate you tuning in. I know that the uh, podcast world is incredibly competitive and there's what, like 2 million of them to choose from now. It's really insane. So tuning into the show means a lot to us and we hope you learn more about Austin. I know I do every single episode from my co-host, Michael Barnes. I'm JB Hager. And Michael, this is going to be fun. Now we're doing another one. Like if you listen to the last episode, we were talking about the Austin Symphony. This is another place you were checking in with uh, mid-pandemic art survivors, we'll call them that. And today we're going to talk about the Zach Theater. That's right, yeah, which when I wrote this in 2020 had turned 99, which is older than they thought they were. Did you un- uncover that for them? Yes, and I don't know if they were happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> no but, one wants to find out they're older than they thought they were. Think about it. No, the standard history that Zach's Theater touted and I always repeated was that uh, the Austin's Regional Theater was born in 1932. And it turns out not so. It was born in 1921 as the Austin Community Players. So now it's more than 100 years old. So what was Austin Community Players? Well, uh, it was part of a movement that started in Europe and spread quickly to America of little art theaters. So theater had been for a long time the dominant form of uh, just dramatic expression for so long. And the commercial theater was so profitable and it had become debased. It had become kind of like we we think of television when it was the vast wasteland, uh, cultural wasteland. And so small groups of amateurs would gather and try to do plays in their own communities. And they were called art theaters or little theaters or community theaters. And this one started out as Austin Community Players, became Austin Little Theater in 1927. It took the name Austin Civic Theater in 1949 and Zachary Scott Theater Center in 1967. Now it's referred to as Zach Theater. It was Zach Scott Theater. And we're going to jump around here a little bit, but, you know, I got to be honest, Michael, I always assumed it was named Zach Scott Theater because that's who stroked the big check to build it. And that's not the, that's not who Zach Scott was. No. Zachary Scott came from a prominent Austin family. Uh, His father was a doctor. His uh, family was very public and very munificent, but um, he grew up to be an actor and he played suave roles for the most part. 
And he went off to Broadway, got cast in Broadway. But in, back in the 1930s, before he uh, hit it big, he directed shows for the uh, Austin Little Theater. And so there was a memory of him as being part of the scene. Then when he became a Hollywood star and he often came back to town and he was a hometown hero. So in mm. 1967, uh, the Austin Civic Theater decided, hey, we're going to name this theater after a prominent Austinite who made it big hmm. and maybe get some money from his family for naming it. <laughs> oh, well, that's always the case. I mean, you you name things as as you said. You assumed that it, he was the donor behind yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His family may have given some money, but I don't know about that. And so, I think it was more a cultural thing than a financial thing. Interesting. And again, I'm going to get jump around here a little bit, but there is the addition of the Topfer Theater. I'm now, assuming that's because of a financial contribution. Yes, the Topper family was very generous. In fact, they had originally planned to give that money for a third theater at the uh, Long Center for the Performing Arts. But when it was cut from the plans, they managed to send their pledge over to Zach Scott, which needed a real theater. I mean, if you've been in the old Clayburg stage, which always seemed to be better than it should have been, I mean, it's a, a handmade kind of community theater stage, whereas the Toffer is spectacular. And it's a, a great real theater, grown-up theater, let me just say, because every place can be real theater. But it's a, it's a wonderful grown-up theater. Now, again, moving backwards, I, when I think about it, you, you know, discovered it. It was older than they thought, 1921. You shared in the article that in 1920, Austin was only about 35,000 residents. Like that's right. that's that's less than the population currently at the University of Texas. Was oh, the whole much, town much less. <laughs> right. And I was thinking about the timing of it in the 20s cuz movies came along. W right. What did that do to theater at that time? Movies actually liberated live theater because it was no longer mass entertainment. And so they were allowed to be artistically more interesting oh. and to do things that the movies would never do. I'm probably in a minority opinion about that. <laughs> I think that probably the theater people at the time were like, yeah, movies kind of killed some forms of theater. But then the 1920s was a time when people were uh, building libraries and reading clubs and they were had self-improvement groups and recreation centers. So it was a time when having a community theater was essential to anything. And, and it, it could be uh, some places that were much smaller, like Bastrop and so forth, had a community theater. Yeah, I guess people were moving at, out of off of farms and moving into these new That's urban right. communities, right? That's right. Uh, so we all know where it's located now at, at Lamar and Riverside, but in these early days, where where was theater happening? The Austin Civic Theater and the community players and all this? Well, wherever they could play, actually. Mm. You know, like the Knights of Columbus Hall, and which I believe was the old Long Longs Opera House at 9th and, and Congress Avenue. And then they one of their places that they liked to play was up at 28th Street and Guadalupe. 
That was uh, where New Braunfels born Mel Pape became the first paid director manager of the Civic Theater. 2828 Guadalupe Street, I think there's a donut shop there now. And this is the 50s, the 1950s. And their Pape directed their longest running show up to that point, Tobacco Road, which ran for 13 weeks in 1956. Do you know Tobacco Road? No, I don't. Tell it was at it. one time the longest running play in America. And they made a movie about it, but nobody watches it anymore. And part of the reason I found out by watching it is that it makes horrible fun of hillbillies. I mean, the characters in it are in this backwoods kind of uh, setting. And it's not gentle, sweet humor like the Greater Tuna plays. It's really a drama, but it it is, I think people went to see this is how my ancestors used to live up in the hills. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's on TCM and other places. You can stream it anytime. Uh, within 10 minutes, you'll go, no. No, this is not, this is not acceptable. Um, and then that Guadalupe location burned down, correct? That's right. And so they opened a place at West 5th and Lavaca. And then they moved over to another place on 204 East 5th Street. That was used to be a one-time livery stable, so a place for horses. And they had several different directors during this period. It's also during this period in the 60s when they named it after Zachary Scott. But they moved in the early 70s to its current campus, which is on city land. And back then, the Parks and Recreation Department had as part of its remit to provide entertainment for the city. And so putting it on parkland was considered a great idea. Knowing anything about city politics, that's that's a lofty goal to get parks to use land for that. You know what I mean? That's uh, that's admirable that they pulled that off. Well, part of the Parks and Recreation Department's remit had always been uh, some entertainment, uh, some something to relieve the daily grind of life. And so in, in the 1930s, for instance, they had Hoot Nannies out on uh, Silker Hillside Theater. And by the 1950s, they were doing full-scale musicals out there, which they still do. And they run things like the Dougherty Arts Center. And so, so Parks and Rec has been involved in the whole cultural aspect of entertainment for a long time. And the complex that's now Zach Theater is on Parkland. And then, of course, that we mentioned that Top for Theater edition. That was in 2012. What a difference it made. It, it right? certainly turned things around for that company. In 1995, you wrote about the Austinization of Zach. What does that mean? Well, what had Zach had been before, uh, director Dave Stakely had taken control, and he's still in charge, was something that was getting better every year, but a reflection of culture elsewhere, whereas, you know, doing plays that have just been on Broadway or doing something that people on the Eastern Coast had come up with, whereas Dave has been very good at making Zach a part of our community and our culture, shows that were written here, shows that were premiered here, shows that reflect our musicianship here. Hmm. And he's done lots and lots of shows with Austin musicians, singers, and and it just 
even everything from the the big musicals to the hard hitting dramas, he has made it into a pop form, and and people feel connected with it, and people feel like this is uh, um, a place where I am seen and heard. Okay, give us a state of the Zach Theater since the pandemic hit again. Why that's why you chose to go uh, visit these places and get an update. Things shut down for a couple of years, right? So what's the status? When the pandemic hit, of all of the arts groups, performing arts groups in town, Zach was hit the hardest. I say Mm -hmm. that because they had the highest percentage of their income come from ticket sales. And so something like 80% of their their, uh, income comes from ticket sales. And you don't have an audience anymore. No live performances. You don't have any income. So they had really bad layoffs early in the pandemic. And then they started coming back slowly and beautifully by doing concerts in the People's Plaza out front of the Topper Theater. Mm. And those worked really well and continue to work well. And then they last fall, they did a production of Into the Woods in the Plaza, so outdoors, and incorporating the tree there and all kinds of other elements. And that was magical. Just this year, they've been back in the big theater and did uh, a new version of Rocky Harp show. And just recently, actually, uh, this is the last week of the run. They've done a fantastic kind of modernized version of The Sound of Music, which is set in a beer hall and really brings the audience into the action. And there's a little bit of sing along. And then they really wanted people to remember what it was like at the end of the play when the Nazis take over. And there's this, this moment where the people who are chasing the Von Trapps in the convent come out and they're, they look like the guys in the white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. It was powerful. Whoa. Yeah. So it's an entertaining theater, but it's also one that has powerful messages to share. And as we're here now in midsummer of 2022, are performances back to normal? Pretty much. Yeah. And I don't know if the latest variant uh, of COVID will force people back into smaller groups or outside or distance or masked at all times. But I think we kind of got used to it. And so we'll get through it again. You can find that article in Indelible Austin, Volume 4, the newest one from Michael Barnes. Uh, Congratulations again on that. I think it's amazing. And um, that's uh, the second. I think we'll probably do more of these. You did How many many different art houses, if that's the right term, did you check in with uh, during the pandemic? uh, I did about 10 of arts groups that are long-term. They're all about uh, 100 years or older. And, uh, and I think it was important during the pandemic to remind people that we got through other things. We got through the depression, we've gotten through recessions, we got through multiple wars and multiple plagues and these groups survived and so will we. Well put. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate it. Thank you everyone for tuning in to Austin Found and we'll catch you next week. Happy trail. 